Good morning, church. And a beautiful morning it is, isn't it? After two days of rain. Well, we have a a long passage in front of us this morning. John chapter 9 is where we'll be together. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps or some other resource for reading, uh, why don't you go ahead and get there. John chapter 9. If you need a Bible, hands up high. Guys in the back will pass them around. Love to have you follow along with us. It's important these days uh, to be what the Bible would call a Berean. Have you heard that saying before, be a Berean? Some of you are going, what's a Berean? Uh, a Berean is someone that not just, doesn't just hear and believe, but searches it out to see if what's said is true. And so that's why we open our Bibles together, so that you can see what this pastor says is right there in God's Word. It's true. And then, then you're, you're more apt and able to put your trust in what God is saying and not what, what I'm saying. Does that make sense? So that's why it's important to read your Bible. Read your Bible and pray every single day. It's a good motto. John chapter 9 is where we are. Let's pray, and uh, I need help. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll go into the Word together. Heavenly Father, Creator of heaven and earth, the one who provides for me, for us, Lord, we uh, ask for your presence, Lord. We desire uh, to, to have you go with us, to go before us, before, behind, and next to, Lord, all around us. We um, have come to be dependent on you, not trusting in ourselves as if anything comes from ourselves. Lord, those of us here, we, we've learned that... Uh, In my flesh dwells no good thing. Lord, we know what we're capable of. We know the thoughts we think. We know the sinfulness that we're capable of. And we throw ourselves at your feet, Lord, thanking you for your mercy, thanking you for your forgiveness, thanking you for your word, the power of your spirit, that you'll use us, Lord. I pray that this morning you'd equip us, you'd show us, and maybe here, Lord, that you'd open blind eyes this morning. Father, have your way in us, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Well, John chapter 9 is is a fantastic account of of two types of blindness, really. Uh, There's a physical blindness, the blindness of the inability for the eyes to perceive the world around them. Uh, And then there's the spiritual blindness, the inability for the heart to perceive, to see spiritual things around. Now, many of you have known somebody that, that you, you see their life, you know what they're doing, you know what they're going through, and you go, oh, I wish I could just see it. I wish I could just show them. But they're not capable. There's a spiritual veil, a blindness, just like a person who has physical blindness. It's the same parallel for someone who's spiritually blind. Helen Keller was a very, very strong Christian. If you've uh, ever read any of her Um, quotes or her biography uh, she said it is a terrible thing to see and have no vision and this from a woman who was blind not from birth but from a very young age she had no physical vision but boy did she have deep and and wide spiritual vision again if you've read her story you know that that is true it's a terrible thing to see and have no vision and in the in john chapter 9 we have a man who was blind physically but comes to see in, in both physical and spiritual realms. And then we also have a group of men 
the religious leaders that can see physically but are totally blind spiritually. They have vision but no vision. And, and uh, it's the whole chapter takes up the story. I, I don't know if we'll get the whole chapter in, but it's certainly our hope because it, it's one complete unit. So I hope we can do the whole thing. It, it's a fantastic story. Only story. Jesus has healed many blind people. This is the only account of a person who was blind from birth being healed. And so let's open it up. Uh, John chapter 9, and we'll just dive right in. Verse 1 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If you look back up just to the end of the previous chapter, verse 59, there Jesus has claimed that he was God. Before Abraham was, I am, the word of, uh, the title of self-existence. You know, I, I, I existed before this man, Abraham. And they knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. And so they were going to uh, put him to death by stoning him to death. That was the way they would do it. They would pronounce judgment on him right there and throw stones at him. But he managed to slip away and he went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. And so he passed by. So he passes by exiting the temple, the the center of their religious lives. And verse 1 says, now as he passed by, so it's right on the heels of chapter 8 that this is happening. As he goes out, as he passes by, his eyes connect with a man. And instantly, just like the woman at the well, he he told me everything about myself. Instantly, he knows this guy. This man has been begging there. The temple is a great place to beg because people sort of have this obligation to give alms there to the poor, to the needy. So he would have been, he had a great spot, a great location. Location is everything, right? Location, location, location. He had a great location for begging there at the temple. And as Jesus passes by, doesn't just see that he's blind. He knows this guy has been blind his whole life from birth. Now, he never chose that. You know, that's an interesting thing about your birth. You you didn't choose to be born where you were born. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose the way you would look when you were born. You didn't choose male or female. You didn't choose these things. You were just born. Bloop. Here, Here I am, world. Get ready for me. He would not have... I don't know how long it took for his parents to realize he was blind. How long did it take them to figure this out? Uh, he would have been what we would call developmentally delayed, most likely. Not having the visual input that most children have would have slowed his learning down. He would have been relegated to a life of, of begging. They didn't have Head Start programs and special resources for these children. He would have a hard time sleeping, not being able to discern night from day. Folks that are blind say it's very difficult to sleep. And when he finally did find some sleep, he wouldn't dream in visual images like you and I because his brain was uh, uh, unlearned about visual stimulus. So not having anything to build a visual image on, he wouldn't dream in visions like you and I would. Never have experienced seeing his parents' faces. Never would have had any of those opportunities. Now he's not a child. He's he's of age, we're going to find out later on. But he was born this way, blind from birth. And as they're going by, Jesus locks eyes on him uh, and the disciples have this issue, this question that, that is a, a common question among them. They asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the insinuation and the assumption, and by the way, be careful of assumptions in your own life. 
There are a lot of things that maybe you've learned or maybe you've been taught and you just assume that they're right. The way to get past assumptions is to ask questions. Find out if those assumptions are right or wrong. You know, when I first got saved, I had a lot of questions to ask. All these things I thought were true. All these things I thought were right. Now I had to ask, were they right or were they not? And these guys had some assumptions. What was the assumption? Did you notice that? Who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. The assumption is that blindness, that some of these physical issues, uh, malformations, deformities, that these would be caused by sin. And not sin in general. We know that sin in a general sense has affected the whole world, the whole creation. Affected people's genetics, mutation, all this stuff affects of original sin. But what their insinuation is, is that there's specific sin that God then judges through bringing deformity or bringing calamity. You know, we, we studied the book of Job not too long, long ago. This was the insinuation. And we do it too. There's a cause and there's an effect. That if you are suffering, it's because of your sin. That, which is great if you're not suffering. It's easy to have that theology when you're not suffering, when you're whole, when you're healthy. Then, well, yes, yeah, because that makes you righteous. See, if your sin leads to judgment, then your prosperity is a sign that you're righteous. And this was, the, now, sometimes these things are true. Sometimes we see in the Bible that, that God does bring leprosy as a judgment against King Uzziah in, in the book of Second Chronicles. We, we read that. So sometimes these things are true, even in, in life. But not always. Not always. Sometimes calamity comes because of our sin, doesn't it? Sometimes issues, you know, if you smoke all your life and you end up with lung cancer, well, you know, what do you say? There's a cause and there's an effect. But just because you get cancer doesn't mean that it's a judgment of God against you because of something you did. If that was true, if God was always judging people based on their sin, we'd all be born deformed because we've all come from sinful parents and all of our kids would be deformed. Right? So we have to be careful with those theology things. And their assumption was that there was this direct cause and effect. But here was their issue. The, the problem was that this guy was born blind. Remember a few chapters ago, he healed the guy who was sitting by the pool 38 years and he, was, and he was lame. Jesus said, get up, take your bed and walk. And he said, you know, now sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Right? It's easy to find, uh, a, a, we, we have this desire to find the, the cause. What's the, who's to blame for this? And sometimes you can't find that cause. So they're trying to find the cause. And the problem was he's born that way. So they see only two options. It was either his sin, and they believed uh, that you could sin in utero. That Jacob and Esau wrestled in, in the womb. And these kind of things have led them to develop this belief that you could sin in utero. So it's possible that he sinned, that this guy was guilty. Something he did, boy, that's a, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a hard enough struggle in there, right? Just to, you know, to just have room to move around, let alone sin in utero. I'm sure I, I was, and David said, you know, in, in iniquity, I was conceived. I was brought forth in sin. So that was one of their possibilities. The other possibility that was his parents that sinned, and that's why he was born that way. It was a punishment on him because of something his parents did. And they would get that belief from the book of Exodus that said the sins of the, of the fathers are visited to the children, the children's children under the third and fourth generation. But then it says, of them that hate me. And there is a sense 
in which parents' sins can be uh, consequences. There, there are consequences to children. I worked in, in rehab settings for a while before I became a pastor. Um, and you work with kids that have fetal alcohol syndrome. Doing alcohol, doing drugs while pregnant can cause things to short-circuit in the development of a child. And so in that sense, parents' sins can cause consequences to their children. I worked in, um, at a place called Cumberland Hospital out past Richmond on the way to Williamsburg. Where I saw, met this family. They had adopted uh, three handicapped children. And there's a family that's in this church that's adopted multiple, multiple handicapped children. Um, this one child, the parents were from West Virginia. They were ado- there to adopt him. He was born with cerebral palsy to cocaine-addicted parents who had put cigars out on his eyes. And so he was blind. And they were adopting him. And they would care for him his whole life. And he would never say thank you. And he would never be the star football player. None of those things. I mean, talk about. And so Jesus says it's not his parents. So his parents were sinners. We know that. And he's a sinner. We know that. So it's not talking about general sin. But they're saying it's got to be a specific. Someone's to blame for this. Isn't that what we do? We always want to blame somebody. And instead of looking for who to blame, what does Jesus say? He says neither. You see, your assumptions are wrong. It's not A or B. It's C. This man nor his parents have sinned. It's not a result. It's not a condemnation. It's not a judgment on either one of them. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. But that the works of God. And and again, I I think back to that family. And just to see the love poured out. You know, there's a real. If you're a strong man and your strength is never really challenged, no one knows how strong you really are. The only way to find out how strong you really are is to lift greater and greater weights until you find out where your strength fails. So how does God's glory get revealed? The greater the sin, the the Bible says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. You can't out-sin God's grace. There's There's no person in this room that can say, I've sinned so much that I've exhausted God's grace. No, you haven't. Matter of fact, the, the worst situation you've been in, the more uh, heinous sinner you've been, when you get saved, that reveals even to a greater degree the glory of God. We knew God was glory enough, glorious enough to save me. I'm a pretty good guy. But if God saves you, whoa, I know God can save me, but my husband, you know, he's beyond reach. He's done too much. No, you haven't. And so there's this idea that, you know, This is what God said to Moses. Let me read this to you. Moses, of course, called by God and begins to complain and find excuses why he can't serve God. Well, God, I can't serve you. I can't speak well, 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 well. I'm a stutterer, stutterer. I don't speak well. Here's an excuse why I can't serve you, Lord. And look at what God says to him. Moses said, Lord, I'm not eloquent, Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I'm a stammerer. I'm a stutterer. And God says, I want you to speak for me. Are you kidding me, God? Did you not get the memo that I can't do that? And then God says to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And then he says, now therefore, 
go and I will be with your mouth. And God says in, in, uh, through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe, that God uses, He chooses to use the lame, the maimed, the, the, the humble, the downcast, the, the ones that society has written off. Because then the greater the glory that He gets, then it reveals the extent of His strength, His healing power. And I have seen some people that we would say they're handicapped, and I, but spiritually, oh my, there, there's just such a simple faith and a simple trust in their lives. And it's the people that have PhDs and, and which just means piled higher and deeper and all, you know, we have PhDs and all these, and, and professing to be wise, what happens? They become fools. So the glory of God is going to be revealed in that sometimes your strength is your weakness. And sometimes your weakness is your strength. And Jesus says, this is, this is the man, not that they've sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus says, I'm not going to talk to you about who's to blame. Let's fix it. We've only got limited amount of time. You can, you know, I, I, truthfully, I like the winter time, not because I like cold temperatures, because I like short days, because after the summer, I'm tired, because when there's all that daylight, man, I end up using it. I'm like outside till nine o'clock at night. You too, you know, in the garden or, you know, doing something outside because there's light. I can work. I can get stuff done. So I kind of look forward to the winter because it gets dark early and I get to go inside and sit in my chair early and have dinner and read a little bit because it's too dark to work outside. Your life is like that. Jesus recognizes he's staring at the cross. It's coming. And he has just a limited amount of time to be the light of the world, to show people God, to demonstrate God's heart. You see, to them, blindness was cursed. This guy was cursed. Some sin in his life. And Jesus is there to show them that, that God is there to heal blindness. One of the signs of the Messiah, healing blind eyes, opening blind eyes. And so great, great news for us. We can only work while it's day. There's only a certain period. Once, uh, once you die, uh, you, your, your work ends. And so many people say, well, I'll do it then. I'll do it. You don't know that day. I mean, I can't. I, we've had two funerals here recently. And we'll keep having them until it's mine. And then I don't care what you do after that. <laughs> I won't care. But we're going to keep meeting like that. And some of them will be expected. Some of them will be from long-term diseases. Some of them will be, you know, old age, the body wears out. Others will be unexpected. And, and the point is, is you, every day is a gift. Every day is, every minute is a gift. And I realize that what I want to do with my life is I want to serve, I want to do something that matters. And so every day is an opportunity. I can only do it while I'm alive. And once I die, my opportunity ends. We can only work while it's day. And so don't put off. Don't say, well, next year when, when the dog dies and when, you know, when this stuff happens, when the kids are in college or when soccer season ends or when football season ends or after this or after that, then what, what if you end before the season does? And what are you going to say to Jesus? Well, I was going to after the football season ended. 
I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Verse 6, he says, When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So, We don't get any conversation between this guy and Jesus. He tells him about being the light of the world, uh, which he said back in chapter 8, verse 12. And he said these things. He just spits on the ground. Now, the blind guy is just there begging. You know, is he sitting? He's probably just sitting there. And Jesus spits on the ground. Now, we're going to find out why this is troublesome to the Pharisees in a little bit. But he spits on the ground and he makes clay. He takes the clay and this guy doesn't know what's coming. All of a sudden he feels these hands on his eyes like, Whoa, you know, and he's rubbing, uh, rubbing this clay, this dirt, you know, dust mixed with saliva. It's like, oh, can you think of a, I mean, he's healed guys just by saying you're healed. You know, why couldn't he have done that? Every time you see Jesus healing a blind person, it's always different. He keeps us from putting him in a box saying, you know, this guy could go, well, he, gets, he gets his vision and he goes and starts to spit and be healed church and the other guy starts to speak and be healed church and everybody's got now different denominations because well this is how i was healed well i was healed this way well i was well no you're wrong this is the way to be healed well they're all the way to be just be healed just that you he's so he makes this clay and he and he rubs it on the guy's eyes and then he tells him go and wash in the pool of siloam which is through hezekiah's tunnel we walk it when we go to israel they brought the the spring that was on the outside of the the city walls, which was unprotected, they, they dug this underground tunnel to bring the channel the water inside the city walls. And it's an amazing feat uh, to see when you go there. But it would bring, and that's why it's called scent. It sent the water through. Also a picture of the Messiah, that, that, that the one who was sent. Doesn't go and wash. Now what would you say? Go and, well, of course I'm going to go and wash. You rub spitty dust in my eye. Go and wash. He doesn't tell him, go and wash and you'll be healed. That just says go and wash. And the guy says, oh, okay. He could have said, that's stupid. Why, and why that pool? Why can't I go to this other pool? Why can't I just go over here to the fountain and, and wash? So he went and washed and came back seeing. No one's asking about who sinned now. He came. Can you imagine all his life? His, his retinas, his lenses have never perceived... His retinas have never received that photo energy. His, now all of a sudden, uh, parts of his brain are being activated that have never been activated before by light energy. And as he's washing there at the pool, I can only imagine he's washing. He's oh, get, get this stuff off. And he kind of opens his eyes. And for the first time in his life, he sees his own hands. And I have to wonder if he looks down and the first time in his life, he sees his own reflection. He sees himself for the first time time you know what and and what and then he goes back it says you know so he went and washed and he came back seeing so he goes he washes and he comes back of course you know check this out guys and all the things you know all the all his life people wished he could have seen this let me show you this sunset let me show you what the temple looks like and as hard as you try to show him as much as you get frustrated, can't you look? I mean, just look, it's right here. Can't you see it? No, I can't see it. I'm blind. Don't you get frustrated with people? I mean, as much as you try to show your kids 
or to tell your uncle or show your brother or your father or your neighbor, the guy you work with. Can't you just see Jesus? I mean, can't you see what you're doing? Can't you see this is the way? And we get so frustrated. They're blind. Their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, the Bible says. So be patient and pray. But once their eyes are open, one guy, I read a news article, he was 68 years old, born blind. Uh, he falls, age 68, he takes a tumble, and he, and he cracks some of the bones around his eyes. This hit, hit his face, and they had to do surgery. So the surgeons are doing surgery on his face, and they said, by the way, well, not, not during the surgery, right? But they said, by the way, we can fix your blindness. Really? Yeah. You want us to do that? Yeah. He described it as like being born again. He said, I was seeing colors. I was seeing trees. I saw my own skin. He said it was a little confusing, you know, depth perception. And, and he would get, you know, uh, have to get used to this life. It's like he had to learn everything over again. And, and some of, I've heard people describe being born again that way. It's, it, or, or it's like being able to see everything is new. When, when a person is born again, it's like the scales fall off your eyes. And all those things people are trying to tell you and you couldn't see it. You thought you had it all figured out. You thought you had your whole th- your deal down. And, and people are trying to show you a better way, a better life, a life of faith. And, and you just couldn't see it. Man, when you get saved, everything is different. Your wife is different. Your husband is different. And you thought it was their fault. All along it was you. It was the way, it was what you couldn't see. It was that you didn't know how to see them through Christ's eyes. You couldn't look at them spiritually. It was, everything was about what, what they do for me or don't do for me. Your parents look different. School looks different. Work looks different. Life looks different. Everything looks different. Now, if you're sitting there today and, and you're still blind, scales still in your eyes, you're going, well, what he's talking about. Yes, you don't know because you're still blind. You, you have to believe to see. If you don't believe, you never see. Does that make sense? So he comes back, he washed, and he comes back seeing. Does anybody have the sense right now that you're seeing that we're not going to finish this chapter? (laughs) I'm starting to see that. We'll get as far as we can. It's so, so good. Therefore, let's keep on going. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this who, who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I'm he. It's me. I mean, this is great. He comes back and he says, look at me. guy. Here I am. And they say, no, we don't think it's you. We know a guy that looks like you, but he's blind. And you, do you have a twin? You know, that's the kind of thing they're doing. And there's this whole debate about if this is really the guy. You know, last year... I was on a rowing team in college, and last year we had a reunion of all the guys I went to college with, and I wasn't a Christian in college. You can connect the dots. But, so, and then my buddy, a guy that was my roommate, he comes down to visit here. He's on a business trip. He's got to go to Richmond. He calls me up says, can I come visit? It's on a Wednesday. Praise the Lord. We got Bible study Wednesday. I said, hey, I'm going to Bible study Wednesday. You want to come? He says, yeah, I'll come. He comes to Bible study. Now, he knew me when, and he's trying to figure out, is this the, are you the same Steve I used to know? I mean, what has happened to you? Things change when you follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Things change. You confuse people. Your parents go, what happened? 
I was talking to a guy who pastors a church in Germany. And in Germany, very liberal, very sexually liberal. And it's sort of expected that as a, as a teenager in Germany, you are sexually active. And so these kids start going down to Calvary Chapel, and the parents call up, what are you doing to our children? They're saying they want to be pure. Why are you, why are you indoctrinating them? Is it some kind of cult? They think it's crazy. Because now the kids say, we want to be pure till we're married. But what would you do with our children? What happened to them? Uh, they got morals. They got saved. They got life. Is this the guy? I don't, they're arguing about debating this. And he says, it's me. It's me, really. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? That's what we all want to know how. There's a big debate, Calvinism and this thing and that thing. You know, how, how does it happen when a person gets saved? You know, do I, does God give me the grace to believe and then I believe and then he gives me faith and then I get saved? Or is it that I believe and, and then I get saved and then I get faith? And then, I don't know. All I know is, I got saved. How did I, I was convicted of my sin in a parking lot in Charlottesville. I, I turned my life back to God. I've been following him for 18, 19 years now. I, the details, I don't know. All I know is I got saved. So he said, how, how did this happen? How were your eyes open? He answered and said, he, calls Jesus, he doesn't know who Jesus is. A man called Jesus, made clay, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went. And washed, and lo and behold, I received sight. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I called on the name of the Lord, and I got saved. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's so easy. It's, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And some people think that's exclusive. It's so open. It is so wide open. Whosoever calls... No man comes to the Father except by me. Any man can come through Christ. Anybody. I don't care how much education you have, how much money you have, how much knowledge you have, how much experience. None of that stuff. You come through Jesus Christ. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord might be saved, could be saved, shall be saved. I went, washed, and I could see. Then they said to him, where is he? I mean, where is this guy? Now, they just asked the guy who was blind, where's the guy? I don't know. I was blind. I don't know where. I don't know what he looked like. I mean, this, this, is, this is, in some ways, this whole story is just, it has some really funny parts to it and some sad parts, too. He said, I don't know. They, so they bring him, they, I like this, verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Should we go over this again? He's going to have flashcards, you know. He's, he needs a blog, I think. Just go to my blog site, and you can read it there. Um, so they bring him to the Pharisees. We know that's trouble. And the word Sabbath is mentioned. We know that's trouble. Because there were certain beliefs, uh, religious beliefs. You know, God said... Uh, Keep the Sabbath holy. You know, obey the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, and don't do any of your customary work. And so because they, they started out in the right place, they wanted to do what was right. A lot of people, I think, to get off in the wrong direction, start out in, with the right heart. They, wanna, they just want to obey God. They want to do what's right. The problem is God leaves some things uh, a little open-ended for the Spirit to interpret in your life. And so 
they felt the need to interpret the Sabbath day for everybody. So that means that on what's, what do we have, what's, what's work? How do we define work? Well, we have to define it so everybody can know if they're following God or not. Now, to them, work, you couldn't wear a pair of shoes that was nailed together in the sole because that nail would have weight and that would be carrying a burden on the Sabbath and you weren't allowed to do that. I mean, it was absolutely, you couldn't spit. See, Jesus spit and made saliva. If you were going to spit, you couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because it would make a furrow and that would be agricultural. That's farming. And you can't work. I mean, you see how ridiculous. But remember, folks, they started out in the right place. But somehow in this attempt to hyper uh, construct what God to, to do for everybody. Well, this is what God is must be saying that they totally missed it. And what was meant to be a blessing to people, the Sabbath day became a curse and a burden and a heavy thing that they couldn't even keep themselves. So they bring him to the Pharisees, and he goes over the story again. Verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. You see how they judged whether or not a thing was from God, whether or not it fit into their box, whether or not it fit into their rules and their regulations and their theology. Not biblical theology. We're not talking about biblical theology. We're talking about their traditions. There's, I just... I love not being constrained by traditions. Now, we have some traditions here. They're, they're minimal, and traditions aren't bad. It's not bad to have traditions. But you know, sometimes churches get constrained by, well, the bylaws say. Well, you know what? If the bylaws say it, and, and it seems that that's not what the Bible says, then guess what has to go? The bylaws have to go. We need to change those things. But these have been our bylaws for thousands of years and hundreds of years. Well, if they don't line up with God's word, guess what? Throw them out. You know, we have resisted some, you may, we've resisted protocols around here. Because protocols, if you write them too strict, they lock you in. What if the Spirit of God is leading you to do something different? In the terms of mercy or in terms of benevolence or in terms of these things. You've got to be free to do what the Lord is telling you to do. And, it's, and it'll line up with it if, if the Lord's telling you to do it. You know, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They never, God never said healing was wrong. Matter of fact, the Pharisees said you can only heal someone on the Sabbath if it's life-threatening. You can only apply medication or help if it's life-threatening. If it's not, sorry, office is closed, got to come back tomorrow. So they, but they judge what he's doing as that he's not from God. Completely opposite of what was right. They've got to discredit him. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. The blind man said, he's a prophet. Prophets were known for doing miracles. So he's gone from being a man to now, I think he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So now they're interrogating his folks. They brought them into it. Is this, you say he was born blind. We think this is a big trick. We think you guys are up to something. He's been pretending all his life to be blind. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. And, and man, they had, they, surely they did. Yeah, parents, you know your children. And that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. 
or who opened his eyes, we do not know. I mean, we're thankful. That's my little commentary. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. Uh, Why are you asking us? Why don't you ask him? He can tell you (laughs) what happened in his life. They're trying any way to discredit. And that's what people do. They want, well, we don't, we believe the Bible was just the, the, a man-written book. See, if they can discredit, then they can, dis, they can justify disbelief. But it's not working. He'll speak for himself, ask him. Why did they do this? They, said, they were very careful in their answer. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. So there was a high price to pay for believing and confessing Jesus Christ is the Son of God. High price to pay. Excommunicated means cut off from land that you might have owned, cut off from you know, any position you had. But the great thing about this guy, he had nothing to lose. He was a beggar. And now he's gained everything by being able to see. He no longer has to beg. He no longer has to be dependent. None of those things. He's gained everything. He has nothing. Wait till you see. I like this guy. I mean, he was blind, but he had a personality. And he still got it. He is of age. Ask him. That's why they said, because they were scared. Uh, they, were, they were afraid of being excommunicated. So verse 24, and we'll stop at the end of uh, verse 25. So hang with me just a few more minutes. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. In other words, give God the glory as a way of saying, now tell the truth. This is the oath. You you tell the truth. We think you're lying, so come clean. No one one had been healed like this ever. We know, and we know, see, sometimes you think you know something and you're completely wrong. Be careful. Be careful of of all that you think you know. We know this man is a sinner. I, I know that this is true. I know that this... Well, just be careful. Hold on to that stuff loosely because there's some things you thought you knew 10 years ago that they oh, I was wrong. Yeah, anybody learned something in the last 10 years? So that means there's something today that you think you know that in five years or 10 minutes, someone might tell you, see, you're wrong about that. We learn stuff. They said, we know this man is a sinner. In fact, he was the only sinless man. So they give God the glory, tell the truth, and this is great. Verse 25, and we'll stop here. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. So simple, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know what happened to me when I got saved. I don't know how, why me, why not this person. I don't know. There's probably less I know, I don't know than than I do know. But I do know this, that as a person, as an individual, I was so blind. Oh, man, was I blind. And there's someone in your life, and maybe it's you. And, and you're sitting in here this morning, and maybe your eyes are just starting to be open. You're going, maybe I am blind. Maybe the, the things that I complain about in my life, maybe the things, maybe why things are happening the way they're happening in my life is because I'm not th- seeing things right. You know, you have to come humbly. And you can't, no one can show it to you until God opens your eyes. And you've just been stubborn and you've just been hardened like these Pharisees. You see, they could see physically, but when it came to Jesus, they were so blinded, weren't they? 
If I can invite Phil to come up. All of our music this morning kind of had that theme of open the eyes of my heart. I, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And your testimony, when you're talking to people, avoid theological conflict like the plague. Because it never goes anywhere. I've never met anybody who I've gotten into a theological argument with, and, and at the end, they, well, that was great. That was so much fun. Can we do that again? It's like you're just worn out and exhausted and frustrated and angry. And, and you can argue this minutia of, of God's Word and, and this and that thing and these details and I don't know, how is a person filled with the Spirit and, and you know, what about this and what about that? What is baptism? This, all these things you can argue. But you can always come back to this very thing. My life is different. Jesus Christ changed my life. I see the whole world different. And I want to invite you. You know, the Apostle Paul rode to Damascus. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's such a powerful statement. And, and God blinded him. And he was led like a child to the city. And in his eyes, he says, something like scales fell off my eyes. And there's something like there's scales on your eyes and you don't even know it. And you're living in darkness and you're living in blindness. And I'm going to invite you this morning out of the darkness. Now, well, what should I expect? How's this work? I don't know. All I know is Jesus Christ heals people of their spiritual blindness. And he makes them see things that they never thought they would see. Never thought they'd understand. And it's not for the elite. And it's not for the studied. I mean, it is, but not only. It's for you. Anybody who will humble themselves and say, what must I do to be saved? Any person, black, white, Hispanic, poor, rich, American, Chinese, doesn't matter. If you want to see, then you humble yourself. You confess that you're blind, that you don't know nothing from nothing. And if you don't think it's true, ask your kids. They'll tell you, Dad, you don't know nothing. Amazing how much we learn as parents between the time our, our kids are 18 and 35, huh? Uh, you knew a little more than I thought you knew when I was growing up. But you have to confess your own lack, your own weakness. That's the hardest part about salvation, right? If you can get past that hurdle, with, with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Hardest hurdle is to, is to uh, confess your, your own need. If you can get past that, you can be saved. So let's stand. I'm closing prayer. Father, I pray for anybody this morning that's uh, hard as being challenged by this blind man. Uh, not just his physical sight, Lord, but more importantly, spiritual sight. I think of even of Helen Keller. In her blindness, in her deafness, in her muteness, had more spiritual insight than a, than a hundred theologians who had biblical commentaries and studies, but were, were not saved. Lord, we've been praying for revival. We've been praying for your spirit to be poured out. Lord, we don't understand the, the, the minutia of, of the Trinity. We don't understand the minutia of how you save people, other than you tell us that it's by believing. 
So I pray some that came in skeptical, some that came in unbelieving, would today be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from blindness to full sight. And that revival would begin in households where fathers humble themselves, where mothers humble themselves, where teenagers humble themselves and become dependent on you. Lord, we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.